Hello, and welcome to Eyewitness Beauty, the podcast where we talk about the biggest stories in the beauty industry each week, except for when we're on summer vacation, which we just came back from. I am still Nick Axelrod Welk, and who am I joined by? I'm Annie Kriegbaum. Do you recognize me? Kriegbaum. Don't I look all healthy and tan? We know we were both in Mexico, but we missed each other by like two days and I and guess like, like 6,000 miles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Where in Mexico were you? I'm not going to say because of the asshole commenter that like got upset that I wouldn't say where. <laughs> Okay. Which I didn't realize oh, right. was in any of the episode. Well, I we just talk- want everyone who's willing and able or interested in reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts, just know that we read every single line. We take it all incredibly personally. <laughs> and it's it's all like a dagger. It's like little daggers. <laughs> We're not looking for feedback in the way that I think people think that we are. Right? Like, <laughs> what do you mean? Basically, reviews are to help. <laughs> yeah. It's not to give feedback it's on whether or not you like my voice. It's not to reveal Which your we, internalized yeah. misogynism because you think that Nick is your like gay best friend and I'm just this like <laughs> asshole like woman who you decide that you hate. But no, go for it. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> not so much an, a venue just for like constructive criticism as it is for for things like love this podcast five stars. Like here's why you might like it too. It mixes beauty news and pop culture, and it's so fun. But more importantly. You know, the biggest thing that we missed, number we one, miss? well, I mean, I... I Are we going straight into No, 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 no. I mean, I was, I was thinking about it. I don't want to neg you, you know what I mean? No, yeah, as you <laughs> as you're want to do. No, before we start talking about what I want to talk about, I just should mention that, number one, this is arts and culture... Number two, we're going to be talking about spoilers from The White Lotus, the TV show on HBO, which just had its finale last week. So skip ahead if you don't want to hear this. The White Lotus finale, this little tiny show on a little network that I think has potential, HBO, took over my world. I know I I said last episode that it was taking me a long time to get through the first episode. I got through the first episode. I'm obsessed. And... What I think is really stupid is that there's since the final episode aired, there's been this discussion on Twitter (laughs) and it started with some guy tweeting like the queer character gets killed by a straight white man. Hmm. I guess have fun with your like woke TV show or whatever. And I just think, can we not just enjoy the White Lotus without making it about how like queer characters are getting killed by cis straight white men? I don't think that was the point of the show. Do you? I don't think there was any point to the show. It's exactly, I know, I, I tweeted about this yesterday. It's exactly the way that I write. It's only about the story. It's only about the journey. It's not about the destination. So the ending, yeah. he just gave up. I totally get it. I don't know how my stories are going to end either. I think he just got it, the buildup of the body on the plane at the beginning. Yeah, of, and he was like, okay, we have to kill one of them. I think it set everybody up thinking that there was going to be something more exciting happening. Um, I mean, I but I thought it was to me the best writing about con- in contemporary America. Exactly, like, like me. Set, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, we're like yeah, very no, it's, in that way. Yeah, I always say that Mike White is like a he's like a cheap version of Andy Creek Bomb, Diamond Creek Bomb. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. They were like the third person that said that. Um, <laughs> no, but honestly, like I was upset. I thought just the characters were so incredibly perfectly written. The one criticism I had is I thought the most two-dimensional character was Belinda, who is the spa manager. I thought that her dial I just wasn't impressed with her dialogue. And I wonder whether it has to do with the fact that Mike White is a white guy. And he's, I guess, bisexual, I believe. And so to me, like he, his sort of like sassy gay thing was speaking through the two Gen Zers. You know, like Sydney Sweeney and her friend. And that's why their dialogue was so funny and sassy and queenie. And then obviously there's like the gay manager of the hotel. Then there's Jennifer Coolidge, who's very campy and like over the top. And I just thought like he kind of missed the mark on Belinda. And I wonder if it's just because it was like his conception of what a black woman working at this resort would think and talk like. And I just found it a little... 
I thought the writing was so good in general. I wanted more from that character. That all might be true. I'm not like, I personally just was watching it to enjoy the show and have not picked it apart in the same way that everybody else is doing online. Yeah. However, I do think her character was just kind of like in contrast to everyone else, like the consummate professional. You know what I mean? Yeah. And those I mean, that's what, yeah. That's one way to look at it. But I just felt like all the white characters were so fully formed and so three dimensional. And really? I thought, what about the bellhop yeah. boy who like got his ass eaten out in the? Who, yeah, by the way, like, we're he... friends. We're friends. <laughs> Did you know I cured his KP? He told me that. Really? Yeah. He Lucas DMs Gage? all services. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! I and know. His, and his buttony for that He's scene. He's like the sweetest. No, that it wasn't his buttony. It was the frat guy's buttony. Oh no, the frat guy. I think not to body shame, but honestly, could have used a butt double. Like I found it flat and not Heck. all that appealing. I know. I I'm sorry. I think I'm that sorry. Every, I think that is unrealistic. I think if it, the show did anything right, it was depicting a white man's ass in a. <laughs> <laughs> True. True. I saw a lot of myself in Jennifer Coolidge's character and in... I was actually upset about the writer character. Which writer character? The fiancé. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Alessandra Daddario, or whatever her name is. Like, they they just ended up together in the end? No, that's what Casey thought, too. No, they just ended up hugging and being like, it didn't work out, but they, like... No. Were like, yes, they did not end up together. She did not end up with him. But anyway, here's what I thought. I just thought that it was, I don't know, like, it's very rare that there's a show that makes me think and makes me, like, have debates with friends. And I thought that it was really smart. I read a little bit of the Mike White, who is the creator of the show, of the profile in The New Yorker about Mike. And it was talking about, basically, he was the creator of the show Enlightened which was like a very short-lived but critically acclaimed show on HBO that they canceled. He felt very, like, screwed over by HBO. And then during quarantine, HBO called him, and he thinks it's just because he's a really fast writer. And they were like, we really need content. And so he, like, had a house in Maui for a while. He came up with this idea. They actually shot in the four seasons because it was still at that point closed due to COVID. And so actually the set designer couldn't they couldn't paint or construct anything so they just basically had to switch out art they could like upholster headboards and things like that so i actually saw like a cool article about how they turned the pineapple suite into the pineapple suite without being able to change anything else about the resort but it was actually shot on location in like a very short period of time which i thought was cool anyway it just made me think what i also loved was that the white straight guys were the least sympathetic characters like Steven Zan Zahn the one who's married to Connie Britton is like the most annoying character like you really? have no sympathy I found for him I... like not annoying at all what does oh. that say about me I, that's... I like his son too yeah his son is okay but he's kind of conflicted and you also don't know whether he's like gay or straight because he's like really into all those like sexy guys who like do the boating why does he have to be either I don't know I guess everyone is fluid nowadays Anyway, any other arts and culture bits and mobs? Yes, as I've aged, gotten older, and come back to Dallas. Dallas is very chic. People used to always ask, R.I.P. Real Housewives of Dallas, by the way. Yeah, exactly. That is exactly how chic Dallas is. They were like... (laughs) You know the like, real no. the real women that like are interesting that have money and I'm sure in any of these cities would never do this fucking show. Yeah, of course. No, but Dallas is great. I went to the Nasher Sculpture Center. I'm gonna go to the Crow Museum this weekend. And like just the architecture here, everything's like pretty great. Except for my mom's tacky neighbors. I built a McMansion behind her, but we don't like them. Hmm. I've never spent time in Dallas. I went to Austin once and I had a breakfast taco. Should we get into top stories? Yeah. So we were off the air for two weeks. And to me, and I think to you, the biggest story was, let's say at the same time, one, two, three, Rihanna, Rihanna. becoming Rihanna. a... Rihanna becoming a billionaire. Billionaire. So Rihanna's a billionaire thanks to Fenty Beauty, among other things. I assume that Fenty Beauty pushed her over the edge. Rihanna this week or last week, I guess, also released her first eau de parfum. And I have it. 
how did you get that? How? I bought it. I like. I was the one who was like oh, waiting until twelve oh one to buy it. Yeah. Oh, good. So this is. It's in a kind of like a tiff. It's like a darker than a Tiffany blue box that opens mm-hmm. to the side. Oh, upside down. Careful. And it has that foam cutout, like laser cutout foam, which a lot of fragrances have. The fragrance is like suspended in the middle of it, like floating. Yeah. And then it's in an amber bottle. It's very YSL M7. It looks like Tom Ford. Yeah, or like Tom Ford 4 YSL. But it's a pretty amber bottle. And I'm going to try it live on air. I'm here. I'm going to try to get ASMR on everyone. Okay, ready? Could you hear that? No, but you got like a little like... (laughs) I mean, it's really good. It's very heavy. And the un-PC term would be oriental and floral, like a sort of like a dark floral. Sweet... So it's like if you like a sweet, woody, dark, florally kind of thing. I I mean, it's really good. It's not light and trendy. It's something more deep, more wintry, if you will. And now I feel like we should compare my notes with what the actual notes are. It says blueberry, rose, patchouli, and tangerine. I see magnolia and musk. Oh, I'm reading this L.com article. Because I wanted to find out who the nose was behind the fragrance. Oh, yeah. Great question. Cavier Bellatrude. It is magnolia and musk with tangerine, blueberry, hints of Bulgarian rose absolute, geranium and patchouli. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, I feel like I kind of explained it correctly. Oh, he used to be at Fermanish, but now he's at LVMH. I mean, it's really good if you like that kind of like dark, deep, sexy, floral thing. There actually is... Side note, an interesting debate in the fragrance world about renaming the term oriental because it still is a term that's used to describe a certain type of fragrance. And it's oriental is obviously not at all politically correct because it comes from like colonialist descriptions of the quote unquote orient. Oh, he he did Le de Si. He did Jean-Paul Gaultier, a bunch of Gaultier fragrances, Kenzo. Lancome Magnifique, he did all the Louis Vuitton fragrances. Oh, Margiela, he did a lot of the Margiela fragrances. Did I say Margiela? Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. Anyway, yeah, this guy's been, his nose has been around. The only time I really go into fragrance mode is when I'm stuck at an international airport. Oh, I love a duty-free shop, yeah. Five pilots came through to buy cartons of cigarettes, so I couldn't check out, but I almost bought three Louis fragrances at once. On Sunday. The Loewe fragrances are really good. Really good. And I had never smelled them before. And their PR doesn't. <laughs> yeah, let's just say we're not on the Loewe PR. Gifting list. And so I'm going to hold my recommendation until they reply. I'm but really into the Rihanna perfume. So you like it? Yeah, I love it. What I'm curious about is whether it smells like the Baikillian fragrance that she allegedly wears or wore exclusively, the Love Don't Be Shy. And I wonder whether, like, that's a great question for us to answer moving forward. I'm going to order that one. Well, I guess just to tie a bow on this Rihanna billionaire conversation, like, I'm very happy for her. I think if anybody deserves it, she does. She has the talent and she's put in the work, right? However, if we think this is going to help the celebrity, like, beauty (laughs) issue, (laughs) every celebrity starting a beauty brand, like, that's not going to go away. Everybody wants to be a billionaire. Everybody's going to be, like, who's who's next with the beauty brand? You know who should get a fragrance is Jennifer Coolidge. That's actually true. It would be good if it was like a Comme de Garçon, like how they did one with Tilda Swinton. Or it's like, it could be that kind of thing. I know this isn't really beauty related, but you didn't reply to the story I sent you. Well, first of all, I know we also posted it on Instagram already, but we're not getting squims. We're getting Kylie Swim. So that was a major letdown in the news this week. Yeah. However, Kim did post a story of her skims office and it is all custom Rick Owens furniture. I mean, which I also, having met Michelle Lemmy, who's Rick Owens' life partner, I interviewed her in Paris at her house. To imagine Kim Kardashian hanging out with Michelle Lemmy, who has like a full set. She's like made all of her teeth gold and she's also tattooed her gums and she has like tattoos all over her face. She like looks like a modern version of some sort of like sorceress and she doesn't really speak English 
particularly well, though she spent a lot of time in L.A. That's where she and Rick Owens met, actually. Anyway, I just think it's funny when I'm, like, picturing Kim Kardashian, like, asking for Rick Owens' furniture. Because it's all, like, very conceptual and... But she, she only wears Rick Owens. I feel like Rick Owens is very, like... It is conceptual, but it's also, like, quite functional. But the furniture is not. Some of it is. It looks like, you know, like, you know, like in like gym classes for babies where there's just like big foam mats and stuff. It's just basically those, but in like beige. I think it looks nice. I know. Am I really I negative? I have a big like concrete warehouse type office and it would be great to fill it with weird foam beige pillows and marble benches. It's kind of like the only thing you can really do with a space like that. That's true actually. But anyway, yeah, so that happened. What else do we have this week? I think kind of the industry understood that we were taking a couple of weeks off so they didn't really really release much. We had a little chuckle about the Cardi B shower routine cardi b instagrammed a picture of her bath products and the internet sort of collectively was a little unimpressed that she didn't have anything other than what you can buy at like cvs she had like saint ives which i appreciate good for her Me too but also saint ives scratches the fuck out of your skin so i don't think it's good for her like, I'd rather her with something. Uses it. Any way you use it, it's, like, literally ground up, like, shells. That's, like, what the exfoliant is. You want things to be spherical. Spherical. You want things to be... <laughs> you want your exfoliants to be spherical so that they're not, like, aggressively, like, scratching your skin. And I just want that for Cardi B. My favorite comment was somebody who commented, like, you can afford the necessaire. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could send it to her, but I don't know how... I don't think it's very easy to get to her. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I would imagine not. Our producer, Jessamine, did inform me that apparently Ikea is coming out with a Swedish meatball-scented candle. <laughs> so, okay. if you liked the ColourPop Chipotle collab, then do we boy, have... do we have a candle for you. Oh, this was just a funny thing that we both laughed at. Careful. I don't like you telling people what you and I laugh at behind the scenes. On August 6th, MAC Cosmetics launched a Viva Glam Pride lipstick. And they say every month is Pride Month at MAC. And I got a chuckle because famously July is Pride Month. Or is it June even? <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's June. June. Okay, so June is Pride June. Month. And then MAC obviously had a lot of delays with this lipstick and launches it in August. And like their room of marketing people are like, here's what we're going to say. <laughs> we're going to say... Every month is Pride Month at good MAC. For That's <laughs> good for them. That's what I'm going to do. If our holiday items don't come in time, I'm going to be like, Every month why. is Christmas. Every Santa's day is real. Christmas. <laughs> in the spirit of helping our cosmetics brothers and sisters, my product of the week is going to be the MAC Cosmetics Pride Lipstick because I too believe that every month is Pride Month. <laughs> Great save, Nick. <laughs> and sorry, when was Pride Month originally again? June. June, right. Okay, got it. <laughs> Annie, you had the pleasure of speaking to our interviewees this week. I was in Mexico, but that's a media interview. So why don't you take us there? My pleasure. So this week we have a skincare legend on the pod, but it's not just to talk about her business, which is Kate Somerville. It's to talk about a new partnership that she's formed with a nonprofit called Foster Nation, which is basically about empowering, you know, when kids go into foster care and all the trials and tribulations that go along with being in foster care. And then suddenly when you turn 18, there's basically no support to transition you into the quote unquote real world. Basically spits you out. Exactly. And as Maggie Lynn, who is the founder of Foster Nation, who's also joining the interview this week, explains, you know, these are not inherently very supportive environments to begin with, and let alone when a child's time is up there when they turn 18 and they basically end up on the street with no support, no access to education, no access to any finances or opportunities. And they identified this opportunity through Kate Somerville to bring opportunity to a lot of those kids that, you know, are turning 18 
and are coming out of foster care and that basically need to support themselves. And we talked a lot about why the beauty industry actually is a really great place for people that come from all walks of life. And I didn't realize but Kata herself is not like silver spoon bread. She has such an incredible story. And so how is Kate Summer? I guess I'll I guess I'll listen to the interview. But how, <laughs> yeah, is Kate, how, how is Kate Somerville working with this organization? Thank you for asking. So basically, it's a combination of Kate and her company are providing $100,000 a year in financing scholarships to help foster youth become estheticians and also supporting them in other ways, which includes like making connections to people in the industry. I think, you know, if there's any industry people listening right now that think that like they want to get involved, Maggie is so incredible and was so lovely to like talk to and I can imagine she'd be like so lovely to work with and you know the easiest thing for any of us to do is just to write an email and make a connection for people that need it anyway let's get into the interview Kate I have to say I can cross off both of my exfoliation gods off of my bucket list now as podcast <laughs> guests because I had Paula Agone on uh-huh. and then now I have the creator of Exfolicate which yep. I've used since I became a beauty editor and got it for free because I don't think mm-hmm. I could have like, <laughs> afforded it back then <laughs> but ever since it's been like my I love it I love right. it it's one of my my main exfoliation thank you even just like my holy grail skincare products so thank you very exciting yeah when I saw the information about Foster Nation, which is why we're all here today. Yeah. I had no idea of your like backstory. And I guess I had always, with all due respect, kind of imagined you on Melrose being with, you know, the chicest people in the world, Barbara Sturm style, <laughs> untouchable, very intimidatingly exclusive and silver spooned. But that's not the case. Not really the case. That's why this is so important to me because you can do anything. You know, you could come from anything and recreate your world. And that is why I'm doing this, because there's so many kids out there that have had it way worse than me, and they're struggling. And they have never been told that as soon as they turn 18, they're in control of their destiny. And I was so fortunate to have a mentor when I was 19 and, you know, in a real world of hurt, because I just came from a really kind of crazy upbringing. And unfortunately, my mom became a severe alcoholic and drug user. And by the time I was 14, she was homeless. And, you know, it was really difficult because I stayed living with her on and off for until I became 15 and left home, but I still obviously hung with her a lot. And my dad remarried and it was hard to fit into, you know, that blended family. So at 15, I left home and I started just kind of couch surfing on all my friends' couches. And, you know, when you're staying at friends' houses, you can tell when you like out where you're welcome And so I had this backpack that just had my whole life in it, right? So this woman, when I was 19, it was a boyfriend's mom came into my life and her name was Barbara Wells and she had cancer. She had terrible, like stage four cancer. She had three kids all in high school or in middle school. And her son was my boyfriend and one of her other sons was schizophrenic. And her husband had left her while cancer for a younger woman. And she had no career. So this is the woman that told me, like, I don't care what you have to do. You need to be able to take care of yourself. Do not rely on a man. Do not rely on other people. You have to take care of yourself or you're going to be in my situation someday. Hopefully not. And she also brought me in at this really crazy time at 18, 19, where I could have gone down the wrong path, like drinking, you know, drugs, that kind of thing. Like it was definitely around me and I grew up in it. So it was like kind of normal, but she's like, you can choose what you want. You can choose your life. You're now an adult and you can either choose it to be incredible. And I swear, Annie, like it was like a light went on and I was like, what do you mean? I can choose because 
this has been my life. And I was like, okay, because I had all these dreams and visions of living on the coast. And I moved, I packed my little bug, it was called Tutaroo. <laughs> that was the name on the little license plate. And I got three waitressing jobs. And I moved to Cambria. And I was like, I'm gonna go live the dream. And I got this tiny cottage right on the water. I mean, I worked so hard three jobs. And then a friend of mine was a dermatologist. And she was like, you should do skincare inside of a doctor's office because all my nurses are starting to do facials. And I'm like, that's a great idea. So I put a business plan together, went back to school for aesthetics. And then my girlfriend was getting her master's in um, business. And we made this business plan. And that's when Kate Somerville started. And so this partnership with Maggie is so important to me because this is full circle for me because literally I had everything stacked against me, but I created this like fantasy land, right? Of Kate Somerville and not fantasy because I worked really hard and I learned about skin and all of that, but it is a fantasy land. It's in the middle of Hollywood. You walk in Sean Connery's old house for my clinic, you know, and I've treated literally the most famous people in the world, like Michael Jackson, I mean, James Taylor, I'm naming like musicians, because I love music, but like, literally, like, what? <laughs> you know, so I just am here to say to these kids that has so much stacked against them, that you can create it now, you're free, but you're not free mm -hmm. from the things that are connected to you and the things that have happened to you, because you'll get through those, but you're free to do whatever you want to do. So sorry, I talked so long, but that's how it all started. That you're making my job very easy. <laughs> this is really exciting stuff. Yeah, I want to talk about Maggie and how you guys met and Maggie's background in a second. But I guess it's interesting to hear like, growing up, you have this backpack, you don't have a lot of things, especially in the landscape of beauty today, where it seems about like acquiring things and people's relationships to these physical things. It seems like that wasn't your experience with beauty growing up. You had a friend that was a dermatologist, but do you have any other background around like why you wanted to go into aesthetics specifically? Yeah, big time. Well, first off, I grew up loving Barbie. I don't know why. I mean, I know it's so like funny and ironic. I just loved Barbie. And so I think the beauty aspect of her, you know, kind of idolizing Barbie for as a little girl. And then I grew up because I had eczema. So it's eczema is like this irritating rash that comes about on your skin. And it's brutal. Like, I was an athlete and I grew up with it all over my body. It was embarrassing. It hurt. I just didn't feel good in my own skin. So my mom, when she was sober and helpful, she ended up putting goat's milk in my bath. And I was like, oh my God, that just changed my skin a little bit. So I'm like, there's something to topicals. So like, I was like, wow, it really matters what you're putting on your skin and your hair. So it was really a kind of a natural thing. And I have to do a skin routine every single day, twice a day to keep my skin out of out of chaos, really. And so I take baths, I, I have to do this whole ritual, I have to put on lotion twice a day. And so for me, like, skincare is because it's a necessity for me. It's not like a beauty thing. And so that's how I really got my start. And then Honestly, like my mom was this insane beauty, but she was a natural beauty. So coming into plastic surgery, because that's where I came in from, had this really awesome, like you can kind of really change something that you don't like about yourself. But you also, I see things that are so crazy, right? And I'll never forget when I had my son, I had a blepharoplasty, meaning like eye surgery when I was 23, because I had really heavy eyelids. And when he came out, he had my old eyes. And I was like, I really regretted doing it. And it was like, it was heavier than like the topical part of it. Am I happy when I look in the mirror? Yeah, but there's like this thing that happened where I was like, that was kind of wrong to do. You know, so if you come to my clinic, you know, you're going to look like you. I had no idea that James Taylor was a client of yours. That's really interesting <laughs> to hear that even talent like that goes and gets their skincare done. <laughs> well, you know, his wife made him come, just so you know. But I got to see him and Carol 
King front row at the Bull. And my father-in-law was the lead singer of the Diamonds. He was really famous in the 50s and 60s. So I introduced James to my father-in-law, David Somerville of the Diamonds. And so he gave us tickets front row and we got to hang out with him. And it's so crazy. Like that for me is like a full dream because <laughs> I love music and James Taylor got me through a lot of pretty crazy times. <laughs> you like literally invented like your dream life. I did. Can you talk a little bit about how you and Maggie met? Maggie, do you want to tell the story? So I started Foster Nation a few years ago, really with the goal of supporting and empowering foster youth as they're aging out of the system. I don't know how familiar you are with the foster care system, but in the U.S., there are about you know, half a million children and youth that end up in the foster care system through no fault of their own. And there's so many obstacles that they face while in the foster care system. Things like being separated from their siblings, psychological trauma, moving from home to home, feeling unloved and unwanted. And, you know, for example, as an organization, we've worked with foster youth that have moved through 40, 50 homes before they even turn 18 years old. A single person, a single kid goes through... Wow. Yeah. And the average is eight, but it really, you know, runs the gamut. I mean, we work with plenty of students. I think a majority of our students that we work with have moved through over 20 plus homes. And I ended up working in this space by total accident in that, you know, you can't ever really know who you're going to meet in life and who's going to point you in any direction. Speaking to what Kate was saying earlier, I had a very similar kind of pivotal moment in my life as well, where it's like, had I not had this one person just say, hey, you can do this. The door is there. You can open it. You can go a different way. This doesn't have to be your life. I could have gone a very different way. But, you know, in our work, so many of our foster youth just, they turn 18. And in the U.S., you age out when you turn 18, which means that, you know, you're now legally an adult. You've emancipated from the system. And so the government is no longer responsible for you. And when that happens, a lot of these foster youth end up having nowhere to go because they move into these homes that if the foster parents are doing it for the wrong reasons, it could be for money or for other reasons, then as soon as the government stops paying them, they go, hey, we're done. You're good to go. And they, you know, your social worker shows up with a trash bag to hold all your belongings and a list of homeless shelters. And then they just say, good luck with your life. And so it's obviously no wonder that foster youth, when they age out, 50% of them end up homeless or in prison within the first year. And a majority of them report zero dollars in wages for the first two years because there's nowhere to go and no support system to rely on. So that's kind of how I ended up starting the organization. And for a little bit of background on myself and why this is so important to me, I grew up in the foster care system along with my sister, Rachel. We were basically put into the system when I was eight years old because of family abuse. And I've moved through eight different foster placements, which really isn't that many. And my sister moved through 11 because we were separated for a year. So a lot of the horror stories that I'm mentioning are some of the things that we've been through. Things like homes putting locks on their fridge so the kids couldn't eat because they didn't want to feed them. Or some foster homes would drop us off at the library or a public mall if they went to family meals with their biological kids. So there's so many different things that kids go through that, you know, even now when I meet a foster youth that we work with, I can only imagine, even based on their body language, some of the things that they've been through. And a big part of when I share my story that I think is really important is I always share that, you know, and it's it's a hard thing to share, but I ended up in the foster care system because my father was murdered when I was just one and my mom was too young to care for me. And I share this part of the story to really help people understand the myth that kids and youth end up in the foster care system because they are quote unquote troubled or because they can't control their anger or or they have their own issues. Because more often than not, they're children that did nothing wrong and ended up in the foster care system because of the mistakes of perhaps the parents in their lives. And one thing that I've noticed now working on this side of foster care is realizing that so many people are closer to foster care than you think. You know, if you look at Kate's story, having a single parent, if something happens, God forbid, to that one parent, like a car accident, you're going into the foster care system. If a parent has a drug addiction or any sort of health condition or issues, then 
more likely than not, you're going to the foster care system if there's not a next of kin to care for you. And so Foster Nation works to help with that transition at that really critical point in time where they're out of their foster home and in the real world. And so what are some, I mean, this new initiative with Kate Somerville is super exciting, but what are some of the other ways that the organization supports foster children? So as I mentioned earlier, the mission is really to engage the community to provide resources, social support, and career mentorship to help foster youth become self-sufficient adults. So when I think about, and again, going back to Kate's story, it's so relevant to everything that we do here at Foster Nation is a lot of times as you're aging out, whether you have parents or don't have parents, it's anyway a, a scary time to kind of face the real world, right? To adult, if you will. And so many of our foster youth just don't have that social network or that social support. And, you know, can you imagine moving through 40, 50 homes before you turn 18 and then be expected to somehow magically have someone you had a bond with that then can help you open doors to get a job or something? So, so many of our foster youth just don't have that. And so the overarching mission of Foster Nation is really to help foster youth know that success is not impossible, even if they were dealt a horrible hand. So a lot of what we do is just making sure that they have their basic needs met and the resources that they need to really become self-sufficient. And a lot of our work is centered around career coaching, career mentorship. And so I'm incredibly excited about this partnership with Kate Somerville because what this partnership is doing for kids aging out of foster care is that it's opening an entire industry that most people in foster care have really never thought about. And as Kate mentioned, and I love hearing her talk about this, how the beauty space is unlike any other industry or unlike any other space because it's not biased for a certain type of person, mm -hmm. right? Like you are accepted no matter the color of your hair or your preferred pronoun or gender preference or mm -hmm. where you come from. You know, you could have come into the world with a silver spoon in your mouth or been born into very dire situations and still end up in the beauty space, whether you're on the floor or corporate or you're directly working with clients. And that is something that a lot of our foster youth have a very challenging time with as they're aging out and looking for jobs in the real world is trying to fit in and just be like everyone else. And mm -hmm. so the reason why this partnership is really exciting to me is it's helping foster youth really consider an entirely new industry of career. And that is something that just doesn't come by very often. A lot of foster youth will try their hardest to go into a desk job, go into an office job, go to college. And I don't think I mentioned this earlier, but 10% of foster youth make it to college and only one to 3% graduate from college. Because if you think about it, once you get to college, it's just another set of obstacles that they have to overcome. Things like where do foster youth go during the summers when all the kids go home? And for whatever reason, as a country, we keep thinking that every single person should go to college and get a degree. And, you know, I have nothing against education. I went to a four-year college. I went to Dartmouth and I was very fortunate, but college isn't for everybody. And even once I got there, because foster care was so stigmatized, I didn't tell a single soul that I grew up in foster care. I just didn't want to be different. I wanted to fit in for the first time in my life. I had this moment that I thought to myself, you know, we all made it here for one reason or another, and I'm here just like everyone else, so I don't want to stand out anymore. That is something that I think is another kind of byproduct and something I'm incredibly excited about with this partnership with Kate Somerville is that we're associating, you know, the stigma of foster care with an incredible brand like Kate Somerville. And I think because of that, there will be so many people that come out, see that, and for the first time might feel that their lives are represented in a positive way and celebrated rather than something to be ashamed of. The beauty industry, like for me, you know, when I said, okay, cause I was going to four year college and that's when I, in the middle of it, when I decided to leave, because for me, it was just really difficult to manage through paying for college. I lived in the same town that my mom would come. And so I, I was like, this is my break to get out. And then when I was working the three jobs to support myself, that's when the dermatologist came to talk to me. And it was only four months to get my license to actually start my career and create the start of Kate Somerville. And along the way, obviously, I did a lot more education, but it allowed me to go right into a career 
first off, with not a huge amount of money, right? So I think it costs like three to four grand to get into aesthetic school. It took me, I double timed it. So normally it takes about six months to a year to get through, especially if you're working. But I literally slept on a friend's couch and I went from morning to night. I got it done in three and a half months. So I was then right into my career. So this also gives a little bit more ideas and it's kind of like more of a trade, right, for these foster youth that not that they can't make it through college because they can, but if they don't want to or they don't have that, it's not such a huge obstacle and hurdle, right, and not four years and all of that. So it allows people too to be super creative. And I love what Maggie said about how the beauty industry, like the crazier you look, at least in Hollywood, like more tattoos and, you know, crazy hair, the more successful you are. So it's just so loving and encompassing to individuals that didn't grow up in the norm, right, of that all that support. So it's just such a great partnership too, because Not only is it giving hope to these kids, but it's actually, I'm one of those people that I'm like, I got in fast. I was able to start creating income for myself. And now I support my entire family on it. And on top of it, because I was an esthetician, I got to treat all these incredible people and women that kind of filled the void of not having a mom. So there's just like all these incredible things that beauty industry gives to somebody in this situation. Yeah. I mean, I love all the points that you guys are making about why the beauty industry can be kind of a, not only a soft landing place for people that have come from a tough background or feel excluded, but also it sounds like the perfect launch pad for somebody that doesn't have a ton of resources and doesn't have a ton of time Mm -hmm. to make something of themselves in the same way that people that come from a background with not even wealthy families, but just families, period. Can you speak a little bit about, on the flip side, what it is about someone that comes from these situations that makes them the perfect kind of candidate for a role in aesthetics? Like, is there something about being a kid in foster care that uniquely sets them up for this position? I think that's a great question. Obviously, I've never been an esthetician, but obviously having been on the other end of it, I think one thing that would make someone who has had some of these experiences be incredibly great at that job is their level of empathy, right? So when you think about, Kate talks very often about working with all sorts of clients, teenagers with acne issues that really affect their self-esteem or adults that deal with, like herself, eczema because of some of the trauma that they've been through that's really manifesting in their skin. And I think that unless you've been through some of the darker sides of life, I think it's sometimes harder to understand what somebody is going through. And I think some of the services that I've ever received in life, you can almost feel when somebody understands the pain that you've been through or the things that you've been through, or just that they see you because they understand, or maybe it's a shared emotion. And you can feel that in people's touch, you know? And I think that's something that probably makes someone who's grown up in foster care or someone who's grown up in a background that's similar to Kate's really great at what they do because even when I met Kate for the very first time, it's like, I'm not even kidding. I think we hugged and I just felt so emotional because I felt like she she was just seeing me. Yeah. And also, I mean, listen, I got into the aesthetic world more on the medical side, but I always was really good with my hands and like, I don't mind touching people that that's a whole other barrier you need to get over. But I love the technical aspect of it too. you know, treating skin, understanding the science behind skin, understanding that science and the emotional and what people are born with as far as their skin type or if they have acne or rosacea or whatever they're fighting to combine all those things together and then be able to go in a room and really get to know people one-on-one. Like if you invite me to a party or anything that's big, I just don't go. It's just not, I'm like such a one-on-one kind of person. The people that I know now deeply because they've come to me in a really secure space. You know, think about it. You're in a dark room and you're massaging someone's face and you're 
really working on their skin, you get to know them so deeply, right? Not only physically, but emotionally too, because you talk about so many things. And the more you're in that treatment room, the connection you get with these people. And, and it's so rewarding. It's, it's like a circle, right? They're coming to seek out your knowledge and care and touch. But then they're giving back to you by just receiving that and also giving you their stories or their, you know, what they're going on with their lives and being in the treatment room now for probably 29 to 30 years. There's some people I know very well. And it's so incredible. It's like such a incredible space and I get paid for it now. So that's even better. And I get to give jobs. And now I get to like help somebody else that was maybe in my situation that could carry through and have a successful life like I have. And so it's so full circle for me personally, but the aesthetics world is a great world and you can go in so many facets, but this is the cool thing. Like this partnership, not only does it give facets of just aesthetics, but we're also giving scholarship to do cosmetology and aesthetics, but you can do that. You can do makeup. And we have so many leads for people that want to do makeup. And then on top of it, like the corporate world, like we're a full on business that sells all over the world. So, and some of our sister brands, because we're part of Unilever, people can go into marketing, they can go into so many places in beauty. So there's just so many facets that we can open up to some of these kids and say, you can do it and we can mentor you and we can train you and we can bring you into this cocoon and love you and lift you. Like, (laughs) how great is that? (laughs) Yeah, no, I think it's like the perfect program because, you know, you hear all the time brands that have a ton of resources that are trying to contribute into the world in a positive way, you know, donating 1% to this or that, but you're actually, to just to speak to some of the like fundamentals of this program, you're putting forth a hundred grand every year, every year to sponsor five, is it five scholarships that people can apply to and they can become estheticians? And are the applications open now? Can you talk about the application process for anybody that might be listening that's interested in applying? So I know the scholarship fund launches officially in early September. I believe it's September 2nd. So really 50% of the annual contribution from Kate Somerville will go towards scholarships and the other 50% of the funds will go towards Foster Nation to make sure that we can train and coach and mentor hundreds, if not in the low thousands of foster youth aging out of the system. So Kate Somerville as a team will be helping us kind of pull all sorts of different levers and connections that they have to help us make career connections, kind of facilitate career trainings. Doesn't always have to be in the beauty space, but obviously this is something that I think is a big focus because as I was mentioning earlier, about 10% of foster youth make it to college, which means 90% of them need careers and careers without necessarily a college degree, which there aren't always that many careers that I, you know, that I can think of. No, especially high schools don't even offer vocational training anymore. Most of them, exactly. like you hear old people, (laughs) (laughs) my dad, talk about like shop class and things like that, or like woodworking or like knowing how to work on cars. It's like, that doesn't exist. Like you can't go get a job after high school in that same way. I love that the Kate Somerville team is really walking the walk by really taking a deep dive into understanding the foster care problem in this country. And Mm -hmm. that scholarship fund, I think, will really help our foster youth go from foster care to career. So we're just excited to open a door into the beauty space with Kate and her team. And one thing that I'll also say too about getting involved with Foster Nation is obviously as a nonprofit, donations, all of that stuff, it's, you know, I feel like boilerplate. But one thing that I think is really critical too, and a big component of this partnership is that being able to leverage Kate's brand and her voice to really raise awareness about the foster care problem is a huge part of it. And over the next few months, I think you'll be seeing a lot of different content pieces come out around just celebrating success stories of foster youth in the system. And I feel like the common thread between all of these success stories is you'll hear what Kate said and what I said, which is having somebody in your life who's just in your corner. Mm -hmm. And so one thing that I think that I always like to say about ways to get involved is obviously other than, you know, donating, volunteering, or being a a mentor is really to donate your conversations or connections. Like you were just saying, Annie, a lot of times people think, 
they can, again, only donate money to a nonprofit. But really, if you take the time to donate your small talk or donate your conversations about foster care, things like sharing this podcast, you might be shocked how that helps people do something about the problem, you know, whether they become volunteers, donors, career coaches, or even foster parents. Well, thank you so much for coming on and letting us play like a small part. We really appreciate it. I think you guys have such interesting stories and I love this interview. (laughs) Now is the time for everyone's favorite part of the show, which is product of the week. I already told you that my product of the week is Max Pride Lipstick, which came out in August. Pride was in June. And that's why I'm saying, you know what? I agree. Every month is Pride Month. My second product of the week is the Fenty Eau de Parfum. It is currently sold out, but you can get on a wait list and it'll be worth the wait because it smells really good. I think it even would really smell good on a guy. It has to be a guy who's very confident in their masculinity because it is a very overwhelmingly and intoxicatingly feminine fragrance. You know, but what is femininity? What is masculinity? Annie, what do you have for us this week? Have I talked about Vita Selena yet on the podcast? No. Okay. So Vita Selena is like an ointment. It's basically Neosporin. You get it in Mexico. If you are from Mexico, you are probably familiar because apparently it's been around. It's like a household brand name. And I've Googled the commercials because I was talking to my friend who's Mexican and grew up there. And he's like an old man and he like knows the theme song. He was like singing the theme song for this freaking ointment <laughs> at dinner because it basically is a cure-all. So I was down there one time and I had like a zit or something or like a really bad bug bite on my face. And on Instagram, people were deeming me like, oh, you have to go buy Vita Selena. It'll fix everything. And it's true. So it's basically Neosporin type ointment, but with retinol. So it speeds up healing. And I buy it every time I go down there. I also love the packaging. It's like very chic, kind of old, not quite apothecary, but kind of with this really pretty like green grid pattern on the box and on the tube. And it's cheap and you can just order it online in the U.S. So if you want an alternate to your boring old Neosporin CVS pharmacy off-label. This is Neosporin with a little kick. Yes. Sounds good. Exactly. And with that... I think we're done. We have a bunch of really exciting interviews coming up in the next few weeks, so make sure to stay tuned. We promise we won't leave you again anytime soon. As always, Eyewitness Beauty is produced by Jessamine Molly of Seaplane Armada. Our theme music is by Danny Prezant, and our cover art is by Simon Abronowitz. You can follow us on Instagram at Eyewitness Beauty, and you can email us at hi at eyewitnessbeauty.com. You can also (laughs) rate us and talk about why you like the podcast and why other people might enjoy listening to it you could actually if you want to give us constructive criticism email us we tell you our email every week so if you like don't want to like maybe be anonymous and just be mean online like you can actually (laughs) if you really feel like what you're providing is constructive criticism you can literally just email us yeah we can have a whole conversation about it as always we love you like sisters and brothers and we'll talk to you next week bye bye